So we're in the process of reading through the Gospel of John, and we find ourselves in John chapter 3. It has one of the most famous, one of the most often quoted verses in the Bible, John 3.16. Can we recite it together? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life, right? And that is a standalone verse that really does carry a lot of gospel weight and implication with it. You can just share that verse with someone. You'll see people holding up a, a placard at a sporting event or something, or John 3.16, and it is kind of this capsule. But it comes within this awesome conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a seeker. It's a little ambiguous, probably leaning more likely that he was not believing in Jesus, but... He was seeking him, and we see Nicodemus for the first time in this conversation with Jesus, and we get to listen in. And what's the Bible for except to just watch Jesus at work and learn who he is and learn what that means for us, and then us as his apprentices to say, oh, well, then this could be me also. How would I live out this conversation of Christ? So I encourage you to be thinking, who are the Nicodemuses in your life? The people who are like have a question here or there, but maybe probably not believers, but they asked, what would you say? <laughs> it's kind of the big question. What do you say? And in different conversations, what should you say now? Jesus has a very interesting approach, and he doesn't give a capsule, right? The capsule is found in the middle of John chapter. He gives all of John 3. He has this wonderful way of introducing what it means to be born from above. I'll give you a little hint. That's actually another way to translate born again. <clears throat> There's no proof of which way it means, but I want us to think about both when we get to that part. Born again, born from above. Beautiful nuances in each of those. But in my experience growing up, I most clearly felt, and this wasn't just something that was you know, specifically taught to the exclusion of everything else, but the clearest way I could have described what it meant to be a believer would be like, I believe in Jesus Christ, that he's my Lord and Savior. I've prayed, confessed my sins, asked him into my heart, and he's forgiven me and given me the Holy Spirit. Like some little version of that would have been little Davy and how he would have explained what John 3.16 means to me. But Jesus spends most of his time talking about wind. Spends most of his time, this is the Greek word for it, pneuma. It's also the word for breath, and it's also the word for spirit. Spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind of God. And that's a very different concept of what it means to relate to God, like catching the wind, feeling the wind, being changed by the wind, becoming a, a person who's like of this movable, invisible, but powerful force that you can't see, but you see when the leaves blow, and you're like, okay, I know it's moving. And I just wonder for each of us how it might change our faith, thinking again of the dreaming, our dreams versus God's dreams. My first definition is sort of like what little Davy dreams God will do to him and for him. This other one is like, I wonder what God's breath is going to do and how I might put up my sail and catch it or how I might feel it blowing in my face. It's a different sort of thing than a profession of faith. So I'm not separating the two, but I'm challenging us to think about the one that's probably less thought of. What does it mean to follow the wind of God, the spirit of God, the pneuma of God, 
all the things that we said before, like, okay, ministering to a family in Foxborough, how will the Spirit of God lead you? You can know that you belong to God, but there's an in-the-moment sort of encounter that needs to happen so that you can have clarity. And you want to feel blown in a certain direction. You want that. Because then you feel like, I just felt like this was supposed to happen, or this happened, and that happened, and the wind blew the leaves. And you're like, oh, look at how all those leaves blew that. So that's the way to go. That's the wind. You want to feel that. Otherwise, we're initiating everything with God rather than walking by the Spirit. So there's very much interesting things in here. We're going to take uh, a few moments and stop at various points. There's some of the most deep things that you'll find that Jesus says in here and some of the most beautiful things. So we're going to pick up where we left off, and it's actually at the very end of chapter 2, the last three verses. This is introducing and setting the stage for Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, but this is probably something we could, we could think about for a long time. We're, we're definitely going to stop at this for just a minute. John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Like in the real definition of the word awesome. People see something and like, oh yeah, there's an answer to prayer. There's a miracle or something. I believe that. But Jesus knows better. He didn't entrust himself to them. He didn't say, well, then make me your king. He didn't say, well, then I'm reliant upon your affirmation. He did not put them in any sort of position of control or influence on him. He didn't put himself in their hands. He stood apart from them because he knew these same people would shout, crucify, crucify. And he knew he had work to do. It's like the exact opposite thing that we do so often. Someone gives us compliment and praise, and we entrust ourselves right to them because that felt good. Like, this person knows me. This person is on my side. This person is looking at me. We love that. Jesus got affirmation and praise from real works of God and said, I didn't do them just so that you would like me. I did them to show that I'm from the Father. I'm here on a mission. I'm here on a calling. It was so, it's so beautiful. We entrust ourselves to people all the time. And then when they turn on us, we're devastated. But should we be? Haven't we betrayed others? Haven't we been a faithless friend at times? I think so. I think that's all of our story. We've never been the perfect friend, the perfect sibling, the perfect child, the perfect child of God. Like, so then why are we expecting that everyone's going to do the right thing to us? And treat us right. And why, there's an entrusting that happens when you say, well, I can trust this person. I can trust this relationship. I can trust that. Jesus didn't. He didn't entrust him. He stood on his own with God and just kept walking the way that God called him. I think it's very fascinating. I think it's quite contrary to how we usually behave. We find the people that affirm us, and then we're disillusioned and discouraged when those same people let us down. Jesus knew what was in man. 
meaning the weakness, meaning the sinfulness, meaning the fickleness. He knew what was in them. And so even though he heard these words, he knew better. And so he stood on his own. I'd like us to think for a moment about how this relates to us and our desire to reach out and serve people around us and be more missional. When they around us see the signs that God is at work and they say, what was the quote we heard just last night? Bumped into a friend or a neighbor of a friend and the person said, oh, you guys have such a great church. You do such good things. What's our instant response? <clears throat> You're right. <clears throat> Glad you noticed. I feel good. Would you ever feel like demoralized after that? No, it's like a great thing to hear, but it's a sign. It's a sign that God is at work when God does something good. But immediately we entrust ourselves to the affirmation and to the, the, the trustworthiness of people as if it's ever been about people. It's about God and God doing a work in our lives and through us he's going to build his kingdom. But we have to be careful. <laughs> Lead us not into temptation, the temptation to love the opinion of people around us when we're supposed to stand solely on God's opinion. So it's a securing thing. To say, I'm just standing on what God says about me. And people can say better or worse, but I'm, co I'm confident in my relationship with God. But it's also a distancing thing. You, you, you feel like, I'm different. I'm not entrusting myself to these people because we know what's in all people. So I encourage you to take as much time as possible this week and think about that. What do we know is in man? What does it mean to entrust ourselves to one another and Jesus what was his approach? So, speaking of not entrusting himself to someone, here is one of the most, the highest religious figures that come to him, Nicodemus, at night. He's part of the Sanhedrin. So it's not just the Pharisees who were the rulers uh, of that area. He was like the ruling council, maybe one of the ruling members of the ruling council. This is a very big religious figure that comes. And he asked questions of Jesus, but Jesus didn't entrust himself to Nicodemus either. It, it wasn't like, oh, Nicodemus, I'm so glad you're like catching on. Here, let me help you. It's like, Jesus is just baffling in this conversation. He, he's deliberately confusing, doesn't answer direct questions. And I, I love that. He's knowing what's in Nicodemus and saying what Nicodemus needs to hear. So let's just read it all, all of chapter 3. That intro there kind of sets the stage, and then we'll go back and focus on various parts. But let's read together. Word of God. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night. So most likely trying to sneak in sort of secretively, right? Like, I don't want to be seen. Uh, but maybe not, right? There, but... Possibly he's trying to not be noticed as he seeks out Jesus. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. All right, we see that you're teaching as authority. It's good. You are from God. No one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. All right, so there's some agreement, acknowledgement of Jesus being from God. Jesus answered him. Thanks so much, buddy. Appreciate that. No. Right? That, that's the entrusting. He's not entrusting himself to him. He's saying, I'm going to tell you something. Truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, unless someone is born again or born from above. They're two identical phrases that translated these two ways. You just think about them. Born from above or born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. 
So Nicodemus said to him, well, how could a man be born again, as in like the physical way, when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answers a totally different way. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And there's several different understandings of this, but the way I understand it to be is water is sort of like the birth when you come into the world. You're born in water. So there's a physical birth. But unless you're born of the water and the Spirit, born again, born from above of God's Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So this means no one is born of the Spirit from natural birth. There is this other birth that has to happen. You can grow up in a Christian family, but at some point it has to like click for you and say, yes, I see. And then that's the second birth. That's the white rose that we celebrate. There's these aha moments that are beautiful. And the spirit is being born from above in that moment. So unless he's born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. So like people bear people. Humans have human babies. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. We know our bodies are all going to die, so we need our spirit to come alive. So that's got to be a spirit thing. It's a pneuma thing. That which is born of pneuma, of wind, of breath, of spirit, is wind, is breath, is spirit. We become beings of God's breath, God's wind, God's spirit when we're born from above by his breath, his wind, his spirit. Verse 7, don't marvel to you that I don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again or born from above. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. I'm going to read that again. The wind blows where it wishes. The pneuma, God's Spirit, blows wherever it wishes. He's moving, doing whatever He wishes, but you hear its sound. You're a bystander to the work of God, and you catch it. I heard it. You know, the wind comes through, it rushes. I heard that. I heard something. This happens to us in our time of prayers. I I heard something. This happens when we read a verse, and like, that means I I heard it. This happens when a friend says, like, how did you know I was asking that question? I, I hear you, God. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and we hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from, and you do not know where it goes. We do not know God's mind. We know like a piece of it. His wisdom is far surpassing us. Where he's coming from, where he's going, we're just hearing the wind as it passes us. The breath of God as it passes us in this moment. And this is how it is with everyone who is born from above of the Spirit. So Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Like, how does that work? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? To get back to our point before, there is a way to understand all the truths of the law, but not have it be a spirit heart thing. And it appears like that's Nicodemus' story. He knew it all. He could go to every verse. He obeyed every law. But he doesn't get what it means to live by his spirit. He's still confused about the breath of God. So Jesus, again, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. We, Jesus, his disciples, the apostles, right? The kingdom gospel message. We speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we've seen. It's like, I get, Jesus saying, I understand the wind of God. I understand the breath of God. I've seen it. I am it. I'm teaching it. We've witnessed this. But you don't receive our testimony. 
right? Everybody's questioning Jesus. Who are you? Are you really from God? Well, who can give you the right to do these things? Like, so if I have told you, verse 12, Jesus says, if I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Like, you're really ready to go deeper, Nicodemus? You don't understand what it means to have your spirit regenerated. You're not ready for that. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. This is one of those statements that Jesus made that says, I was in heaven before I was born, and I'm going back. Right? People will lay claims that Jesus never actually claimed to be God, never claimed to do these things. Like, this is Jesus' own words, saying the Son of Man came down from heaven. So there's a, a human man that they're looking at, and he's saying he came from heaven, and he's going back. So that gives him a very unique perspective on God. They should listen to what he has to say. He was there, and now he's here, and then he's going to be there. So... Nicodemus doesn't have that perspective. Jesus is trying to show him who he is. He is the Messiah. He is God. He is the Son of God. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Raise your hand if you remember the story of the serpent in the wilderness. I'm just curious if it's some of us, half of us, most of us, what the percentage. So I'm um, just really quickly, in two sentences, the Israelites were being bitten by poisonous snakes and they were dying. So God said to Moses, make a snake out of bronze and put it up on a piece of wood. And whoever looked at it, they will be healed. They will not die of the poison. And so he just made this snake and put it up on a stick. And whoever looked at that believed that God was able to heal them. It was the faith in what God had said, and they were healed. Do we know another person who was put up on a tree that whoever would look towards him would have faith that God can forgive them of their sins and heal them so they would not die? Jesus, right? It's a beautiful parallel. And the story in the Old Testament, um, probably in Leviticus, perhaps in Numbers, I forget offhand, is just so predictive foreshadowing this. And so Jesus quotes it and says, okay, so I'm going to be lifted up. So he's not talking about like ascending into heaven with the angels. He's talking about being crucified like the snake up on the cross, on the tree. That's what he's talking about. So again, he's predicting his death. All these things. He knows what's going to happen. He knows where he's been. He's making all these statements. You can believe him or you can not, but this is what he said. I will be crucified so that they may have eternal life, not just snakes and temporary life, but souls and spirit born from above forever. For the reason this is going to happen, God so loved the entire world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, he's saying, should not perish but should have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. They don't come into the light, lest their deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. I kind of wish that when we quoted John 3.16, we'd skip down and also quote verse 21. <laughs> I believe because I'm trying to run to the light so that everyone who sees how I live and the deeds that I do could know that it's actually from God. It's always I believe and therefore I live. 
It's God is love and love is sacrifice. It's always the two hand in hand, the whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7. You know, believe this, here's the truth. Truly I say to you, you've heard it said, but I tell you all these wonderful, magnificent truths. And at the very end of it, the person who doesn't take what I said and put them into practice is like a fool who builds his house on the sand. As soon as the hard times come, they fall over and they're destroyed. So it's always the, the living it out. That's the joy of it. It's not just the learning and the memorizing. I think with Nicodemus, we have someone who did a good job learning. Maybe would have even, if, let's put him into modern context, this could be someone who we would assume is a Christian, right? I'm changing the metaphor a little bit. Step away from the passage just to like put it into a modern version. Someone who goes to a church, <clears throat> who knows the Bible very well, who can quote all the passages, who does the right things, like genuinely is trying to serve God. But that person doesn't know what it feels like when the wind blows. It's another thing. It's a deeper thing. And it like kind of makes me like sad to think that there may be many people in many churches that have learned about God but haven't had that born from above spirit of God, which is actually how anything is going to work. Because if you know what the right thing is to do and just go and do it, then that's trying to like be a good person for Jesus rather than I felt God calling me and so I go and do and there's the fruit of God. So you see there's like a risk in this. We can grow up in church. We can know a lot about the Bible and not be saved. But if we're going to quote John 3.16 and say, believe me and have eternal life, it's in the context of the wind, not just a verbal profession of faith. We're not going to separate them. They're together. But I'm saying make sure you put them together. And when we talk to people and someone asks you, like, what do you believe about, like, heaven and hell and all that kind of stuff? Why don't you answer with, it's kind of like wind. And just confuse them and have no idea what you're talking about. And be like, anyone has to be born above their spirit's got to be reborn. Like, all right, well, now it's like hocus pocus. It's like voodoo or something. Like, what are we talking about here? No, it's a mystery. Because our bodies die. And so if we are just our bodies, then all of us are just going to end up in the ground. But we don't believe that. And when Jesus rose again, we have evidence that that's not the end. So if we're not just our bodies, what are you? It's your spirit. It's your soul inside. So that thing better be in good condition when the body runs out. Because that's what's going to go on. You don't want the soul to eternal punishment. You want the soul to eternal life. And it begins now, like being alive. And a lot of people are dead in their beliefs instead of alive in the spirit. So they have to go together, but don't miss what Jesus is saying here. And I think John 3.16 is so perfectly concise, but also too simple. And in its context, it doesn't even bring into effect the, the final part of it, that it's not just this statement or a belief, an intellectual assent. It is the living out of these practices and beliefs that we have as well. What do you think verse 18 means? I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts and see if we can dig into that. Verse 18, I'll read it again as you're flipping to it or thinking about it. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever doesn't believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I guess we could put the next one with it. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. But what, what's the condemnation? And how could someone be condemned already? 
Because we're born with sin. Good. What else? God. We, we, will, we will say phrases like that when we're feeling the movement of God. It's so good to be there. But how could they be condemned already? Because the curse of sin right from the very beginning through our head, who represented all of us. Uh-huh. God put us all under that curse. Because being, in, being with that tendency towards sin, we can't be in God's presence. We can't be in his home. That's, they kicked him, he, he kicked them out of the Garden of Eden to, yeah. to show us that. So hmm. living under that, we're under that condemnation. It's only by the act of believing, which comes from an intellectual ascent, but also an intellectual ascent that moves in action hmm. in our life. Mm-hmm. And that kind of belief. Um, That's how we're already condemned. Yeah. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So if we are little Christs, that's what Christian is, right? Like Christ, Christ-like, Christian. Um, then are we sent into the world to condemn the world? condemned already? It's a trick question. (laughs) It's condemned already. We're sent into a condemned world, like a condemned building that's about to fall down. But sometimes, because we see the truth, we try to, like, reinforce the condemnation rather than show the exit door to people who are already condemned. If someone is completely blind to their sinfulness... It's going to take a work of God to open their eyes. That's just the way it works. So we show them the Father who opens their eyes through the breath of his spirit, and then they look around, they're like, this house is condemned, i got to get out of here. You see the order of events here? It's to the already condemned that Jesus comes, and what he comes with is the breath of life. He gets to live forever. So how do we come to the people around us? With the breath of life or with condemnation? Do we have an eye to maybe see those who see their condemnation and offer something different? Those who are depressed, those who are afraid, those who are angry, those who are antagonistic? What are the evidences of someone who recognizes that the house is falling in and just doesn't see the exit? That's the gospel message. That's fertile soil. That's, that's where God's option <laughs> will provide someone the hope that they need. On this note, I, I read an illustration in one of the commentaries I was looking at this past week, and I'm not going to be able to do it quite justice. I should have brought it with me so I could just read it. But the story goes of a 
a man who goes to a museum of fine art. And the person there, the steward, kind of like gives him a tour of the whole place. And he looks at these magnificent works of art. They're, beyond, they're priceless. So they're beyond compare. And he gets to the end of the tour, and he says, sorry, sir, I don't like your old paintings. I don't like your old paintings. And the steward turns to him and says, well, sir, these paintings have long been proven to, mas to be masterpieces. They are no longer on judgment. You are. And the commentary says, this man showed that he had no love in his soul for what was a masterpiece. He judged himself by judging them worthless because they've already stood trial and the world has proclaimed them beautiful. So when you say they're not, you're judging yourself. I thought that's kind of a cool way to look at the judgment. And the artist, you know, the steward didn't say, how could you? He's like, you're just showing who you are. And that's what Jesus does. He just shows things for what they are. Let things come into the light. Just shows them. He shows, so he's not making someone sinful, but he'll point it out. He's not afraid, right? He doesn't make someone, you know, be open. He offers them the gift of life. And then that receptivity that God is like tilling that soil sees Jesus and it's like, I got to follow that guy. Follow me. And we say, yes. So Jesus is a revealer of souls. And I think sometimes he gives us wisdom in this way too, to be like him in the world in this way, to recognize where someone is like dead in a certain way. And to pray for God to do a work. This is reminiscent of uh, 2 Timothy 2, I think it's 22, where it says, if someone opposes us as Christians, our job is to pray that God will grant them repentance so that they may come to a knowledge of the truth and escape the trap that the devil has caught them in. So you see the order of events there? We're all caught in the trap. And if any of us think we don't just fall and stumble into the traps all the time, then we are denying the power of temptation and the weakness of the flesh. That's just our reality. But if you see the trap for what it is, you can climb out. Or if you see someone with their hand down, there's a way out, but we can't see it. And so a condemned world can't see and when we go around telling everybody, you must behave this way, you must do this, and we tell Christians, even our Christian kids, Eli, sorry if I've ever done this to you, you must behave this way. You have to like, follow these practices, you have to do this. If we force someone to behave a certain way, but it's not a hard thing, it's not doing anything. So God, please forgive us as churches for all the times we just told people, like, don't drink, don't swear, don't hang out with bad people, like, do the right thing, but we haven't said, catch God's spirit. Catch the wind. Like, put up your sail. Like, catch it. It's coming by. If we don't put those two things together, then we're missing what it means to be Christian. It doesn't mean to be perfect. It means our eyes are open. So when we fall into that same stupid trap that we always fall into again and behave the same way or fall prey to the same sin or have that same judgmental thought come into our head, we should just see it for what it is. Like, our eyes are open. Like, I don't want anything to do with that. God, I'm sorry. Okay, done. Cross. Move on. Like, we're, we're moving. That's another movement of the spirit. But people who don't see it can't see it. So why would you like shout at the blind person caught in a pit? Like, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? And Jesus didn't come and just shout at the blind people in the pit. He shouted at the people who are supposed to have their eyes open. <laughs> so we're supposed to be people who have our eyes open so we're not being hypocrites. We're just living and loving the Father through the Son. 
So I wanted to give us time, and this is, this is the time we're gonna do this, where I'm gonna pass out a small piece of paper. If you have a pen or pencil, I want you to write on this. There are some pens in the back. So maybe Corey, if you wouldn't mind being our pen pal, that would be cool. And uh, anybody who needs a writing implement, raise your hand. There's a handful in the back. I would like to give us a moment to listen to God's spirit. And so on these little cards, there are a bunch of different words. One says a need. Another says a prayer, a joy, a friend, a prophecy, a conflict, an opportunity, a reminder, a hindrance, a scripture, a future, a lesson. I would just like you to sit. Um, I'm going to play a little bit on the guitar and just give us a moment. And wherever the Holy Spirit makes one of these phrases stand out, I'd like you to circle it. Just make a few circles on this page. Things that you're listening. Spirit, what are you saying to me? And then, you know, as we get towards the end, I'd like you to flip it over and write something or draw something or just think something with the Lord. But we could talk about what it means to listen to the Spirit. I would also like to try to listen to God's Spirit this morning. So I'm